man or the woman that we long to be. Well, the parables we are going to study this morning, I believe Jesus gives us some of the secrets to growth in the kingdom of God. My mother-in-law lives with us, and one of the neat things she does for our family is every time a special holiday comes along, like Thanksgiving or Christmas or Valentine's Day or Easter, she'll have a little party for us down in her wing of the house. And one of the special parts of that little party is that she will hide these little wrapped packages all over her apartment. And one of the first things we do when we get the signal is we all go hunt for these little packages. And inside each one of these packages, as we unwrap it, is a little prize, a little surprise. And these parables are kind of like those little packages. As we unfold them, as we unwrap them, we find contained inside a delightful little surprise. And these parables in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 21 and going through verse 34, contain three or four of these little gift-wrapped packages. And as we, as we unfold them and look at the delightful little surprise that's contained inside, we will find instruction from Jesus himself about how we grow to maturity as men and women. Let's begin in verse 21. Jesus said to them, Mark 4, 21, Do you bring in a lamp to put it under a bowl or a bed? Instead, don't you put it on its stand? For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. This parable, or these parables, were spoken once again to the multitudes gathered out on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus adds this little catchphrase, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, he's saying to the multitude gathered there on the beach, there's more to this story than meets the ear. If you, if you ponder the story, if you meditate on the story, you will find that one of the secrets of God is contained in this little story. This is a story, a little parable of the lamp and the lampstand. The point that Jesus makes, if you have a darkened room in your house and you bring a lamp into that room, you set that lamp on a lampstand where it can give light to the whole room and it can reveal the contents of the room. It can shed light on the room. It can bring illumination to the room. You don't bring an oil-burning lamp into a darkened room and then place it under a peck measure. That's the word he uses for, for bushel or bowl here. Uh, a peck measure was just a large bushel. That's what Peter Piper would have put his pick, pickled peppers in or whatever he picked. <laughs> would have been in one of these bowls. You don't bring a, a lamp in and then put it under a bushel. Nor do you, you put it under a bed or a dining couch or something like that where its light would be concealed. No, you set it on a lampstand so it can shed light to that whole room. When I was a kid, my mom would always ask me if I'd clean my room. And I would say yes, and then she would go check. Kind of an accountability system we had. And she always did one thing when she went into my room to check to see if I'd clean it that always bothered me. First thing she did when she walked into my room is she turned on the light. I always thought my room looked better in the dark. But, but my mom knew something about the character of light, that it illuminates, it reveals, it exposes, it discloses. Now Jesus says there's something like that in the kingdom of God. There is a lamp which sheds light in the kingdom of God that illumines, that discloses, that exposes, that reveals reality, that reveals things as they really are. Now that lamp, Jesus intends for us to understand, is the teaching of Christ himself. Christ and his teaching is the lamp. 
And Jesus indicates that this lamp that is brought into human affairs and set on this lampstand publicly so all can see, so all can hear, is a light which reveals things that are hidden and exposes things that have been concealed and brings them out into the open. I think Jesus is talking about two things that are concealed and, and are brought out into the open. We saw this in the parable of the sower and his explanation of why he taught in parables. The first thing that we see revealed in the teaching of Jesus, the first thing that his teaching like a lamp reveals for us are the secret things of God. If we want to understand the secrets of the kingdom of God, as Jesus put it, the principles by which God operates, by which he intervenes in human affairs, then the place to turn for that kind of illumination is the teaching of Jesus. If we want understanding about how life works and what makes marriages work and what makes parenting work and how to handle pressure and how to handle stress and adversity and, and reversal and anxiety, the place we turn to find help is to the teaching of Jesus. There's no other source of information in the world that will enable us to come to grips with life as it really is more than the teaching of Jesus. It illumines, it discloses to us the secret things of God. We find in his teaching the, the source of adequacy and sufficiency for life. But Jesus also says that his teaching not only discloses the secret things of God, it also discloses the secret things of the human heart. That Jesus and his teaching bring to light, bring to the surface things that are hidden in the human heart. One of the promises that Jesus makes to us is that if we will submit ourselves to his teaching, if we will allow his teaching to probe us and to search us and to examine us, we will get to know ourselves better than we could in any other way. That the way in which we get to know the secret things that are concealed in our own hearts is not through self-examination and not through introspection. It's by sitting under the teaching of Jesus and allowing his teaching and his word to penetrate our hearts and, and bring to light things that have been hidden and concealed there. Now, there's both, I believe, a warning and an encouragement in that. Notice how all-inclusive Jesus' teaching is in verse 22, or how, how all-inclusive its, its ability to reveal is. Jesus says, whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. His point is there is nothing which we are now concealing from people that is going to stay that way. Whatever is hidden, whatever is secret, whatever we've covered up, whatever we've concealed from people, that is destined to be exposed and to be revealed. So Jesus' point is there's no, there's no point in trying to play games with people or trying to play games with God. If we're involved in anything that we would be embarrassed or ashamed to have come to light, then we might as well stop doing it today. Because it's inevitable that someday that is going to be exposed. So the time to begin living a life of honesty and integrity is today. For whatever is concealed is meant to be brought to light. Whatever is secret is meant to be brought out into the open. A few years ago, there was a convict who escaped from the Idaho State Penitentiary, a very dangerous felon. And the police launched one of the most extensive manhunts in Idaho history to track this man down. His picture was plastered on the front page of the Statesman every day for, for several days. Now, for some background, there is a bear hunter in our fellowship. Likes to hunt bears with a bow and arrow. Kind of a dances with wolves kind of guy. And one day, he decided to go hunt for bear. Now, he has a top secret bear hunting spot. A spot which, in his mind, is the most strategic bear hunting spot in the northwestern United States. And this 
secret was so jealously guarded by him that he would not even tell his wife where it was, and he made her take an oath that if she ever found out, she wouldn't breathe this to a living soul. Swore his own wife to an oath of secrecy, so she agreed to it. So one day he heads into the office in his three-piece suit and decides, nah, it's too nice a day to be, you know, be working. I'm going to go hunt bear. So he put his answering machine on, changed into his hunting clothes, and headed for the hills to hunt for bear. And just as he got to the spot where he parks his car, right near his top secret hunting spot, he saw a parked car there, and there was an individual sitting in the driver's seat of that car. And it was this convicted felon, this dangerous uh, escaped convict. And so my friend made some kind of plausible excuse to kind of leave and went down to the bogus basin lodge and used a payphone to call the police. And the police came and tracked this man down and eventually captured him. Well, the next day, front page of the Idaho Statesman, a big headline, a big map with a big arrow, bear hunter, spots escaped convict right here. Now, that's the point that Jesus is making to us, is whatever we think we have concealed, whatever we think is we've kept secret and hidden from people is one day going to come to light. So, so the appeal is to begin to live now in the light of that reality. Let's stop playing games with God. Stop trying to conceal things from Him. Live instead in, in the awareness that whatever is concealed is going to come to light. But I believe there's also great encouragement in this truth also. I think probably all of us have had this experience at one time or another of being misunderstood by people, having our actions or our words misinterpreted by others. And no matter how hard we try to establish the truth and to help them to see what our true and honest intentions and motives were, we just simply cannot seem to get the point across. And we seem to be the the perpetual victim of this kind of misunderstanding or misinterpretation. Well, Jesus says, remember this, whatever is hidden even from other people, is one day going to come to light. The day will come when your true motives will be revealed, they'll be established, and you will be be vindicated. So that's what Jesus says. My teaching is like this kind of lamp, which exposes, illuminates the deep things of God, and it also illuminates the secrets of the human heart. Now, because of this capacity, Jesus issues a challenge to us in verse 24. He says, Consider carefully what you hear. He continued, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you and even more. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Consider carefully what you hear, Jesus says. Now, the NIV translation could be taken a couple of different ways here. It could be read as if he was saying to us, think about what I have said. I don't think that's his point. Quite literally, what the Greek says here is watch what you hear. Now, we're used to watching what we eat, but Jesus says it's far more important to watch what you hear. In other words, Jesus' appeal to us is to pay very careful attention to the sources that we listen to, to choose very carefully which voices we listen to, to watch very carefully what we hear, to ask ourselves this question, which, which voices am I listening to? Am I listening to voices that draw their message from the teaching of Christ in the Scriptures? Or am I listening to the voices of people who drawing, are drawing their message from the teaching and the wisdom of the world? 
Now, it's especially critical at times of crisis and pressure that we consider carefully what we hear. It's right at that point where we're the most inclined to listen to people, even friends who will tell us what we want to hear rather than what we need to hear. But Jesus says, watch very carefully what you hear. Why? Jesus uses the parable of the measuring cup. The measure you use is the measure that will be used in measuring out to you. Uh, The parable is actually quite simple. Jesus says, whatever measuring cup you use, someone is going to take that measuring cup from your hand and they are going to measure back to you using the same measuring cup that you have used with them. And that's why it's so important that we watch what we hear. Picture that came to my mind is imagine you are in the bulk food section of Wehrmacht. And there are these two giant bins there with measuring cups kind of attached to the front of, of each of these bins. And one of these bins there in the bulk food section is labeled the teaching of Jesus. And right next to it is another bulk bin, and it is labeled the teaching of the world. Now Jesus says the way our understanding of truth works in the kingdom of God is... Whatever measuring cup we use, that same measuring cup will be used to dispense out to us an extra measure of whatever we have measured out for ourselves. So, for instance, if we come up to this container, which is marked the teaching of Jesus, and we take a generous measuring cup and we dip generously into the teaching of Jesus, Jesus says it's just as if there was an individual on the other side of that bin who once we have measured out a generous portion of the teaching of Jesus and kept it for ourselves, who takes that measuring cup out of our hands and he dips an extra bonus measure of the teaching of Jesus and drops it in our little container. Every day is double coupon day is the point that Jesus is making. On the other hand, if we go over to the bin that has marked the teaching of the world and we dip generously into it, then the same exponential process takes place there. There's someone on the other side of that bin who will take that measuring cup from our hands and dip out to us a bonus scoop of the teaching of the world. So Jesus' point is that if we imbibe the teaching of the world, if we drink from that source, if we draw from that container, it becomes that much easier to swallow bigger and bigger lies, bigger and bigger error about life. But on the other hand, if we dip generously into the teaching of Jesus, he returns to us a bonus. It becomes easier to believe more and more of his truth. And our grasp of truth and our understanding of truth grows rapidly. It grows exponentially if we use a generous measuring cup to draw from the teaching of Jesus. His point in verse 25 is whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. Whoever has a responsive heart to the truth will be given more. More what? Will be given more truth. Whoever does not have a responsive heart to the truth, even what little truth he understands and believes will be taken from him. Now, what Jesus is talking about here, I believe, is the secret to how we grow in our understanding and grasp of the truth of God. If we long to grow in our understanding of the truth, here is the secret that Jesus gives to us. And the secret is simply this, respond to the truth that we have. We don't have to worry about all the vistas of God's revelation that we do not understand. All the books of the Bible that we have never studied, never understood. Never master. We don't have to worry about that. All Jesus says you must do 
is respond warmly, eagerly, responsively to the truth that you do have at your disposal, to the truth that you do possess, the truth that that has already been revealed to you. And if you respond to that, then Jesus will see to it that you are exposed to more. He will give you more truth in response to your grasp of the truth that you do have. There's a vivid illustration of this in John chapter 9. The principle that Jesus is advancing here is really the use it or lose it principle of growth and understanding of the truth. Anything that you do not use, you eventually lose. If you have ever broken a leg and had it in a cast for a number of weeks, you, you discover when the cast is removed that your muscle has atrophied. You've lost the use of that muscle. It has to be patiently rebuilt because you haven't used it and you lose it. A lot of us probably took French in high school. We've never used it since, and we've lost whatever little French we, we once knew. But if we cling to the truth, we are given more. In John chapter 9 is the story of the man who was born blind and is healed by Jesus, kind of a hit-and-run healing. This man had no idea who it was that had healed him. And once he is healed, the Pharisees come to pursue him. In verse 10, How then were your eyes opened, they demanded? He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. Notice how he describes Jesus. The man they call Jesus. Well, they try in the next paragraph to talk him out of this point of view. Finally, verse 17, they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. He clung to the truth he knew that the man called Jesus had healed him, wouldn't be budged from that truth. And now in verse 17, he describes Jesus not just as a man, but as a prophet. So they argue with him some more. They finally threaten to kick him out of the synagogue, but he clings to the truth that he knows. And in verse 33, he says, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So now he understands very clearly that Jesus was not just a man, not just a prophet, but someone who had come from the very presence of God. Then finally, Jesus comes to him in verse 35 and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man asked, Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Well, how did this man get from believing in Jesus simply as a man who had healed him to understanding that he was the Son of Man? He simply clung to the truth that he knew. And Jesus saw to it that he was exposed to more. Now in verses 26 through 29, we see a second parable, the parable of the mysterious growth of the seed. He also said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. Jesus uses the parable of the scattering of seed once again to illustrate growth in the kingdom of God. He's just talked about growth and our understanding of the truth. Now I believe he talks about growth to maturity, personal growth and character 
and in substance. It says, growth in the kingdom is like a man who scatters seed on the ground, who plants a garden. And the point that Jesus makes about the, this agricultural process is there's a growth process that takes place that occurs whether the farmer is awake or whether he is asleep, a process of growth that takes place in the middle of the night and in the middle of the day. There's a process of growth that the farmer himself does not even understand. He cannot explain how the seed grows. He does not know how the seed sprouts and grows. He simply knows that it does, even while he sleeps. Even when he's paying no attention to his seed, it grows. It sprouts. All by itself, Jesus points out, the soil produces fruit. My mother-in-law is an avid gardener, and I've seen this process at work each year that she's lived with us. She plants a garden... And then she goes into her apartment and she works on the crossword puzzle and she reads books and she takes her little dog for walks. And all of the while this process is going on, while she's working on the crossword puzzle and taking her dogs out for a walk, her garden is growing. Now she couldn't explain to you how. Now there's hard work involved in preparing the soil and planting the seed, but that hard work has nothing to do with the growth of that seed to maturity. There's a process that's completely independent of the hard work that she or any other gardener or any other farmer puts into it. Now, it's critical that we understand this, that this is, this is how spiritual growth takes place. There's something supernatural about it. There's something that we cannot explain about how growth takes place. Spiritual growth takes place, and it has nothing to do with how hard we work at it. Uh, what Jesus here, I believe, is, is doing is countering what I call the Avis brand of, of Christianity, kind of the we-try-harder approach to growth in the Christian life, that if I'm not growing as rapidly as I want, that the solution is to kind of clench my teeth a little firmer and, and clench my fists and back up a couple of more steps and, and hit it harder. But Jesus says, no, that's not how growth takes place in the Christian life. It's not connected to our hard work. It's not a matter of making sure that we have done all of the right things and we've got all the right dance steps memorized. That's not how growth takes place. I'd like to beg your indulgence for a moment and read you a story about frog and toad. Gripping drama from one of the books that I read to my kids. And this is a story entitled, The Garden. Frog and toad are good friends. Frog was in his garden. Toad came walking by. What a fine garden you have, frog, he said. Yes, said frog, it is very nice, but it was hard work. I wish I had a garden, said toad. Here are some flower seeds. Plant them in the ground, said Frog, and soon you will have a garden. How soon, asked Toad. Quite soon, said Frog. Toad ran home. He planted the flower seeds. Now seeds, said Toad, start growing. Toad walked up and down a few times. The seeds did not start to grow. Toad put his head close to the ground and said loudly, Now seeds start growing. Toad looked at the ground again. The seeds did not start to grow. Toad put his head very close to the ground and shouted, Now seeds start growing. Frog came running up the path. What is all this noise, he asked. My seeds will not grow, said Toad. You are shouting too much, said Frog. These poor seeds are afraid to grow. My seeds are afraid to grow, asked Toad. Of course, said Frog. Leave them alone for a few days. Let the sun shine on them. Let the rain fall on them. Soon your seeds will start to grow. That night, Toad looked out of his window. Drat, said Toad, my seeds have not started to grow. They must be afraid of the dark. 
Toad went out to his garden with some candles. I will read the seeds a story, said Toad. Then they will not be afraid. Toad read a long story to his seeds. All the next day, Toad sang songs to his seeds. And all the next day, Toad read poems to his seeds. And all the next day, Toad played music for his seeds. Toad looked at the ground. The seeds still did not start to grow. What shall I do, cried Toad. These must be the most frightened seeds in the whole world. Then Toad felt very tired, and he fell asleep. Toad, Toad, wake up, said Frog. Look at your garden. Toad looked at his garden. Little green plants were coming up out of the ground. At last, shouted Toad, my seeds have stopped being afraid to grow. And now you will have a nice garden too, said Frog. Yes, said Toad, but you were right, Frog. It was very hard work. Got a basic misunderstanding about how growth takes place, botanically as well as spiritually. So one of the lessons out of this, I believe, is that as far as our personal growth is concerned, is that we can relax. That the process by which we grow has nothing to do with how hard we work at it, with how careful we are to do all of the right things in just the right order, about how certain we are that we read all the right books and go to the right seminars that the only thing that we can do to contribute to the growth of, of the seed in our lives is to pay attention to the condition of the heart. If we continue to be soft-hearted in response to the truth, to respond to it, to ingest it, to obey it, to listen to it, to agree with it, to hear it, to put it into practice as we are able, then growth will take care of itself in a process that we can't even explain. All by itself, the seed will begin to grow and produce mature maturity in us. Uh, this happens occasionally when you run into somebody that you haven't seen for several years. And as you talk with them, you discover how much they've grown in the intervening time. And they're not even aware of it, and they couldn't explain to you how that process has happened. But in that intervening time, they've simply quietly continued to respond to the truth that God has revealed to them. And as a result, there is growth that takes place. And Jesus also points out that not only is this growth supernatural, it is a process. First, there is the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. If you stop growing at some point, you might only be a lieutenant colonel. But uh, I know it's bad, I couldn't resist that. But the point that Jesus makes is that, that growth in the spiritual life is a process. And therefore, we can be patient in this process with ourselves, not become disgusted, discouraged, uh, impatient, defeated, because process growth is something which, which takes time. And not to be impatient with others who are in the process of growing uh, to maturity. Uh, we've had two babies in our house, and one of the things that I've come to understand about babies is that they make messes that have to be cleaned up. Well, young believers are the same way. They will, will make messes. And part of understanding the way in which growth takes place is that we develop a greater tolerance and patience for people because we understand they have not yet reached maturity. So Jesus is careful to point out that we need to be patient with ourselves and with others in understanding the process of spiritual growth. I think there's another lesson here, and that is that there's no basis for pride in, in, in seeing spiritual growth in ourselves, in seeing the growth of some ministry that we're involved in, because the process by which growth takes place is a process that nobody can explain. Even a farmer doesn't know how it happens. And all by itself, the ground is bringing forth the soil. Therefore, there's, there's no basis for, for pride. 
So not only does this take the pressure off of us, because growth is really God's business, but it also eliminates any basis for, for pride. There's no reason to be puffed up about the growth we see in ourselves or in ministry, because we are not responsible for that. Remember a number of years ago, a pastor of a large church in the area came to visit Cole because he'd heard about the way the church was growing and several people from his church had left and begun attending Cole and so his curiosity was aroused. He wanted to see what the attraction was. And so he visited us and we were over at Bishop Kelly. We were sitting on hard, cold, uh, folding metal chairs, meeting in a cafeteria, hard tile floor, harsh lighting, no acoustics. I was teaching that day. He could not see the attraction. <laughs> he went away just as mystified about why this church was growing as when he came. And none of us could explain it to him because growth is something we can't explain. It's God's business. He's the one that supernaturally causes growth to take place. So our concern is simply to be receptive, responsive soil Trust that God is the one who will take care of growing us in our understanding of the truth and growing us to maturity to be more like Him. I think it's important that we be patient in this process. One of my interns uh, refers to uh, the current approach that many people take to Christianity as micro-magic Christianity, this desire to be instantly mature. And Jesus says uh, that doesn't happen in the botanical kingdom and it doesn't happen in the spiritual kingdom either. Now, Jesus concludes this series of parables with the parable of the mustard seed in verses 30 through 32. Again, he said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds of the air can perch in its shade. The point of this parable is the contrast between the smallness of the mustard seed and the greatness or the, the largeness of the plant that grows from it. The smallness of the mustard seed was a proverb at this time. Jesus uses the same proverbial expression elsewhere in his teaching to refer to faith which is small as a mustard seed. It's a, a proverb, a metaphor for something tiny, something very small, something uh, insignificant. Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, tiny amount of faith, you can still move mountains because a tiny amount of faith in a big, powerful God can, can move mountains. So Jesus is pointing out to his disciples that growth in the kingdom of God is like this. It begins with something which is small, something which is insignificant, something which is easy to overlook. Yet in time, it grows into something that provides a home for the birds of the air. Mustard plants in Palestine and the Jordan Valley around the Sea of Galilee, will often grow to, to the size of 8 or, or 10 feet and look like a small tree. And Birds will come and build nests uh, in the branches of these mustard plants. Now Jesus says to his disciples, the growth of my kingdom is going to be just like that. And I think his point is to keep us from being discouraged by small beginnings in life and small beginnings in ministry. Not to be discouraged that things seem to be small and tiny and, and insignificant at this point. Because this is the pattern by which God grows His kingdom. Starting with His disciples. These were 12 men who were uneducated, who were not captains of industry. They were not graduates of, of the Harvard Business School. 
They were the least likely to succeed. As you seek to grow as, as parents, as you seek to grow as a friend, it says don't be discouraged by small beginnings because this is always how God begins his pattern of growth. I find many Christians don't want to do anything unless they can start with everything fully funded and fully capitalized and money in the budget for promotion and, and so forth. And Jesus says, no, you don't have to wait for that. It's my business to start with something that is small as a mustard seed and grow it into something that provides shade for many. Uh, Brian Mers was telling me this, uh, uh, this last week, uh, this, this year is the 40th anniversary of the ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ. And Brian's mother was involved in the very first Campus Crusade for Christ meeting. It took place in Bill Bright's living room. Twenty college students. And that was it. Something which started in his living room with 20 college students from UCLA. And now, 40 years later, there are over 6,000 Campus Crusade for Christ staff members taking the teaching of Christ to almost every corner of the globe. started as a tiny little mustard seed, but now it's grown into something that provides shelter for the birds of the air. So this is the point that Jesus is making to us in these parables. He's talking about how growth uh, takes place. And I think there are several lessons in, in kind of closing that we can draw from this. Uh, the first is to simply respond to the truth that we've been exposed to. That's the key to understanding more truth. It's not an ambitious Bible study program. It's not enrolling in seminary or Bible college. The key to growing in our understanding of truth is to respond to the truth we have. Secondly, let's understand that growth is supernatural. It's not a result of our hard work and our effort. It's a result of a supernatural process of God, and therefore we can be patient with ourselves, with others. Realize this takes the pressure off of us to hurry up and grow because it is God's business. And then last, let's not be discouraged by small beginnings. It's God's business to take mustard seeds and grow them into something that provides shelter and refuge for many. Let's go to a word of prayer, and then we will take communion together. I will have the ushers hand out the elements from the back, and we will hand them out consecutively and then partake of the bread and the cup together at the end. And in the interim, we'll have an opportunity to sing a couple of more songs of worship. There will be time for us to meditate on the teaching of Jesus and the truth that we've been exposed to in this little passage this morning. Let's pray together, and then we'll partake of communion.